0: This week on Montreal Hockey Now, you have Francois Gagnon talking everything Habs with your host, Jimmy and Marco.
1: And welcome to another edition of the Montreal Hockey Now podcast with your host here, Jimmy Murphy, and my co-host Marco D'Amico. And we're joined by a special guest, an old friend of mine that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over all the years and trips to Montreal and kind of being around all the rinks around the NHL. And I'm sure Montreal fans know him well. That's Francois Gagnon joining us right now from RDS.
0: Frankie, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you. I've seen you more times, I think, in Boston than in Montreal, because I used to go out more in Boston than in Montreal, but hey, always a pleasure to meet you.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just saying that to Marco. We were talking about how, you know, to promote our show and promote the website, Montreal Hockey Now, on Facebook, and he's like, well, you got to do a, a blast with all your friends. You, you should probably have Montreal friends. I said, to tell you the truth, I think more of my friends on Facebook are from Montreal than they are from Boston, so kind of the same thing there. <laughs> Um, I I don't go out much. I think that's common though, right? You don't go out much really in your home city because it's your downtime. You want to be with family and uh, catch up on things. It goes
0: with, it goes with gray hair also. Uh, Yeah. Now that the hair are getting uh, thinner or grayer, I mean, we're not going out as much and and it's a good thing. It's um, a good thing. I'll tell you though, Frankie,
1: the the, the ladies do love the salt and pepper. Uh, That's that's, (laughs) that's what I'm finding out, my man.
0: But uh, I I could not, I could not tell you about that. I don't know anything about that.
1: (laughs) So listen, uh, let, let's just talk quickly. Uh, obviously, I haven't had a t- chance to talk to you on air about this season. Just a, a, kind of a tale of two stories, right? Uh, Pre-Mark St. Louis, and and now what we're in now. So I guess if you take us back, just, you know, if you can think back to even January, what your thoughts were on the, on the Habs and the future of the Habs at that moment versus what they are now.
0: Well, uh, well, it was it was a down point. Uh, I mean, it was obvious, and uh, the changes were coming in. You had Jeff Gorton, you had uh, Kent Hughes. That was uh, uh, already in. You had you had things coming, but it was obvious that the team, the players that were in place, the ones that were healthy anyway, uh, they they had phased out the coach, and and it was clear that for the Canadians to take something good of this year, as bad as as bad as it was. They need to do something. I remember writing a column saying it might be time to think about changing the coach. And I got a load of crap because people were saying nothing good will happen anyway. Well, I said, yes, something good will happen if they find the guy. Don't bring an interim coach that has no chance to stay. But if you feel that somebody will be able to take this and bring it to another level, give him the chance to start working right now. And that's exactly what happened with Martin St-Louis. Now, did I ever thought that Martin St-Louis would be the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens? No way I ever thought about it. Nothing. No, Not even close yeah. of thinking about him. But, you know, now that you see that he was willing to do the job, willing to leave his family back and come in Montreal and work his tail off, it was a great move because things are happening and – I'm not saying that the Canadians will beat the Bruins next season as a team involved in the playoff, but at least they will
1: be relevant, which they were not for the latter part of this season. And, and, and quickly, and I'll let you go in a second, Marco. Quickly, though, too, the way – look, I, I'm with you, too. A lot of people at that point were kind of like, well, you know, the season's lost, just ride it out and make the coaching change in the in the summer. But I love the philosophy. They were like, like no, we've got a lot of young kids here not only here now, but that are going to be coming, and, and we need to change that culture. We can't have these kids developing in a losing mentality culture and, and just with so much negativity. And I think that you know, people say, "Oh well, he had no coaching experience. What were they thinking?" And but it's it's this positivity that he brought in, and and and, and by no means is he you know Mister Nice Guy. He does hold people accountable, but it's it's the positivity and I think the enthusiasm um, for the game. And to teach these kids to never, you know, one thing I think is the worst thing that can happen, whether it's you're a hockey player, whether you're a hockey journalist or whatever you do in life and your walk of life. Once you lose the passion for that, that's it. And you don't want that to happen to kids at an early age. So I, I think that that was a key right there to sort of change the culture. Would you agree?
0: I, I would use a different word. I agree with everything you just said. But for uh-huh. me, the key word with what was happening then and what is happening now is the word respect. Mm. Dominique Duchamp is a good Mm -hmm. hockey coach. He proved it in junior. He proved it at the world juniors. And in some ways, he proved it as an assistant coach to uh, Claude Julien, who was a real NHL coach and coach for a long time. Mm -hmm. You can blame him on things, but you were part of uh, his great years in Boston. And uh, Claude Julien has more qualities than he has weaknesses. But wait, we all have some. Now, Duchamp lost the respect of his player. For what reason or how many reasons? I don't know them all. But the way the team was playing, it was obvious that they phased him out and that they will never, ever follow the game plan or the, the leeway that he was trying to give for mm-hmm. some odd reason that I don't understand that we will probably understand later on and once we'll be able to get more contact with players and maybe with Duchamp himself because he's a smart guy. And he will be probably the first to acknowledge few things that worked bad for him and that were huge mistakes at the end. Now, Martin Seloui comes in, no experience, but you said it enthusiasm for the game, uh, what he did as a player, uh, is his place at the Hall of Fame. So he got instant respect. Dude. He got something else. He got players playing guilty over the fact that they, you know, they hung up that, that coach to be hanged yeah. a- and fired which they did by losing 7-1 against the Devils in a game that we were well-rested after a week of break, a team that they should have beat the way they beat them uh, last night, even though uh, that Thursday night game in in, uh, Jersey was not good for the Canadians. Jake Allen saved the game there. But still, you know, they are showing respect to the coach. They are showing respect to the game on the ice. And that brings a lot of uh,
1: different results. Marco?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a you know a a little bit of a symbiotic relationship that they have right now with Martin Saint Louis, and I think it's clear when you look at the way that they're playing. They're playing with pace, they're playing with energy, and ultimately they're bringing in kids that are able to jump into that game plan and you know seamlessly transition. And I think that's the key difference that we've seen over the last two months versus the last couple of years is watching a guy like Justin Barron who would, you know, if acquired you know, in the past would likely not have been uh, a player that would have started in Montreal's top four and given a little bit more leverage as he kept going. I think it would have been to Laval and we'll see you when we need you. Um, you know, I like this idea of playing, you know, to the strengths of your players and not necessarily focusing on the weaknesses during the game. Just take your notes and we'll deal with it in practice. And, Hiring a guy like Adam Nicholas, for example, that's able to work with them on the side and and like he has with, for example, Rem Pitlick, uh, it's done well for his game and he's been able to really add value to the Canadians as a waiver wire pickup. So there are a few players that I think are optimized in that situation. And obviously we saw St. Louis working with Cole Caulfield on the fake one-timer that then resulted in a a wrist shot that we saw on, uh, I believe, Tuesday night uh, against uh, the Senators. So it, you could see the effect. And it's not just simply the the, the aura of St. Louis. I think he's passing on that knowledge. And I think that's getting these players amped.
0: But Marco, you know why they are able to do that? It's because yeah. the season is over. Yeah. Oh, and right. they made a change so that Martin said, we can use this time with the kids yeah. and take chances. Yeah. Jordan Harris coming with the Montreal Canadiens the day before they faced the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa. I mean, in your right mind, you would say, I'm going to give a chance to the kid not playing against Kucherov and Stamkos, but hey, it doesn't matter. You go to the guy and you say, the result of the game doesn't matter. It's the way you're going to face adversity that we are going to look for. And that's exactly what is happening. Corey Shunem the other night against Boston, Tuesday night, bad pass in the corner. He thought that Rem Pitlick would go left. He went right. Ah, He's giving the puck to Austin Watson. There's a goal. I was looking at Schooneman and I said, okay, this is what I want to see. Is he going to come back on his heel? Is he going to be scared of doing something with the puck? Is is he going to put it in the glass because he said, oh, nobody's going to touch it if I put it there, not even my teammates? No, he kept playing. And that's why, even though they are out of the playoff race since game 15 this season, they are playing meaningful hockey now because of what's going to happen for next year. They are taking information. Players on the ice, young guys, coaching staff, management, they are all taking notes on who's going to fit over here. Yeah. Lake was a great surprise, yeah. but they put him in a way that he can succeed with that first line with Caulfield and Suzuki. Same thing for Schooneman, same thing for Barron. If Barron comes in Montreal in not only a playoff race, but, you know, just in a situation where the Canadians are trying to build up for the playoff, he would not have played because Sherrod no. would have been there because Weber would be in, in, uh, in a good health and playing lots of minutes. So it's open for them, put them on the ice, take notes, tell them to understand what they're going to face next season and work out right now
1: for the benefit of next season. Beautiful segue, too, because as we saw yesterday, I really enjoyed Martin St. Louis' comments before the game uh, explaining why he was scratching Jordan Harris. And he said, look, this isn't a reflection on his performance. This doesn't mean he's playing poorly. This is a chance for him to take the two games that he just played, his first two games in the NHL, and and sort of just engulf them and and look at them and break them down and, and see it from a different perspective up top. And I'll tell you something, you know, that made me think of something. Uh, a long time ago, I think it actually was Chloe Julian who brought this up one time to me. And I said, Do you um do you keep track of what guys do when they're healthy scratches up top? Because you know, you've been up there, Frankie, in the press box, and you'll have some guys that are very attentive. They're looking at the game, they're taking notes, or they're talking with maybe the video coach that's sitting next to them and, and they're paying attention. And then other times you get guys that Sitting around, you got Michael Ryder throwing paper airplanes. Uh, uh in Sydney, I was there. He were <laughs> sitting right on my left. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and you know, you get guys who are just like, or they're bitter that they're there and they sulk. And I, I've always, ever since Claude Julian pointed that out to me, I've always paid attention when I'm up there. I kind of always stare over at those guys and I'm looking at them and I stir it in the back of my head. This kid gets it, that kid doesn't. So when he said that yesterday, I thought back to that. And I said, that's a great philosophy. I mean, so what? This isn't going to hurt his feelings that he's scratching them. These games, like you said, are meaningless in the standings. But at the same time, they can learn from them. And sometimes taking a step back, like Paris was able to do last night, and like Schooneman's done as well, or Weidman. I mean, Weidman came in and played great last night. So I, I think it's a great move by St. Louis to do that, and also to make it clear to us, the media, so we don't run with it in the wrong way. Yeah, um, but still,
0: you know, if you give me a chance, I would ask Martin St-Louis to bring Harris back as soon as possible in me front too. of Kale Clegg because They're Harris is Kale more Kale. part of the future of the yeah. Canadians than Clegg will ever be. Uh, he was brought in because of the numbers of injuries. They were looking for bodies that could fill up some holes, and he did as a decent job as he could do, just like uh, Niku did and like all the others that came on the blue line. But now you're not just putting bodies on the blue line. You're putting prospects. And you want to bring those prospects to a level that they will be able to help you. I mean, I did a column this week. We will all remember the big three in Montreal with Savard, Robinson, and Lapointe. Who was the best one? I don't care and I don't know. They were all great in their way on the ice and they were the best three defensemen in the NHL at that time. There will only be a big three in the history of the Montreal Canadiens, especially for an old guy like me. But... The Canadians with Byron, with Schooneman, and uh, Iris right now, they have a young tree that could develop into something. Just the way that Caulfield and and Suzuki are developing something. They are not a beast, a two-headed beast like Leon Dreisaitl and and Connor McDavid. They're not Austin Matthews and Mitchell Marner in Toronto. They are not Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. They are not that yet. Will they ever be there? I don't know. But they are on the ice. And when you look at the game last night, Montreal scored seven goals. There are two goals for me that are meaningful. The first one of Suzuki because Cole Caulfield showed on that play that he can also give the puck not to the opponent but to his teammate to give him good scoring chances. Mm-hmm. And Suzuki scored from the way he's, where he's scoring most of his goal in that right. uh, right-hand side uh, um, a face-off circle. Yeah, that's he's deadly from there at 5-on-5 yeah. on five or the power play. And there's the other goal, that breakaway that Suzuki got. I mean, look at that play, guys. I mean, that was Tom Brady (laughs) played by Suzuki looking at a puck. And, you know, his wide receiver said, oh, there's an opening here. I'm going to start running. And (laughs) Suzuki, uh, Caulfield is skating heads down, facing the opponent's zone. And at some point, he feels that the puck's going to come. He turns around, boom, it's there, and he goes. That is meaningful goals. All the others, I that don't true. care. The, yeah. the goaltender in uh, Jersey gave up the, the game to the Canadians. But this is what I'm talking about when I'm looking at those games and I say, okay, what what am I seeing now that is going to be helpful for the next few years or more than few years because those two guys will be pivotal for the Montreal Canadian in the long run.
2: Yes. Marco? Yeah, I I thought about that play as well, especially that breakaway goal from Caulfield because the first thing that came to my mind when he got that puck was early season Caulfield probably would have fumbled that pass, right? Because that was a hard pass to to, to get flat and then go off. And he did it full stride, which goes to show the evolution in his game, the confidence in his game, because those are little details that they've modified that are allowing them to, to really excel offensively. And we've seen it. This is what his fourth breakaway goal in the last two weeks Um, so his separation his ability to 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 utilize the puck at full speed and then the shot I mean deadly so I I think we're seeing that shift and I you know we were talking about Jordan Harris before like this is what I said to a lot of people I don't think there's anybody in the NHL that knows and understands Jordan Harris better than Kent Hughes and Martin Saint-Louis they've been around him for the last four years uh, in Hughes's case and two years for St. Louis. Um, So they were going to bring him in slowly and and they know his personality. So I I don't think that, uh, you know, there's much to be done in that situation. I think you're going to bring these guys in and rotate them because that's the reality. I think St. Louis has got to be fair. He's got nine defensemen soon to be healthy uh, that he's going to have to rotate. And, you know, they're taking notes. And this is all, like we said, this is all an evaluation.
1: Yeah. And I, I look at too, you know, you've been writing about it. Uh, Marco's been doing a great job writing about these young kids coming. One of his recent stories was Jaden Struble uh, and, and him coming along here too. And there, and again, there's another connection. I mean, Kent Hughes was his family advisor. And so I'm looking back when you, you know, you start to pe- put the pieces together and everything. And I remember when, when they brought Kent Hughes in and they are sitting up there on that stage, how many questions they were bombarded with. Well, Is this just you bringing in your best friend? You know, is this just going to be a typical good old boys network? And it's not, it's not by any means, but what it was, and I think this was part of it is the strong connections that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon had, or Kent Hughes has to some prospects coming, or Marty St. Louis has to some of these coming, some of these kids coming, you know, people can make fun of Marty St. Louis. that he never coached in the NHL or never even coached at at AHL or juniors. But one thing I can tell you is through, mutual friends frankie is that marty st louis is a rink rat and he is around those rinks down in connecticut a lot and he would just go to games to watch these kids play of course he's there watching his kids but he would go to other games where he literally had no connection except just to watch hockey and learn about the new generation of kids coming and i think we're seeing that in his coaching right now because let's look around the league man it's all about skill right now it's all about freedom it's all about expressing uh, creativity, so to speak, on the ice, and I kind of see Saint Louis embracing that so far in a short time. Do you agree? I agree, but he You know, he, and he made it clear when he came in. You know, he used
0: what he was he used with the Canadians, what he was using in youth hockey, as putting guys in a close in a, a shorter span of the ice and working on their abilities. Mm. I mean, you guys are too young, but. You know, Scotty Bowman, who had the best team in probably the history of the NHL uh, for many years with the Montreal Canadiens, his practices were simple. He didn't have to go at Steve Schott or Guy Lafleur and ask them and show them how to shoot the puck. They had that in their DNA. He never had to go to Robinson to tell him, you should do a hip check on this side or that. He was bringing them together on the ice, complete short passes from tape to tape. And if they would miss that, that's when he would go you know, hard on them and he would yell on them and be, you know, be as hateful as he was and as hated as he was by his players. He was asking them to do basic things and the rest will go in accordance because they were so good. Now, right. Martin St-Louis doesn't have that kind of team yet and right. he might never get it because those teams come and go for Rarely. once in a century. Yeah. But still, that's his approach. And that's why I was using the word respect. Make your kids, because some of them are kids right now, understand why you're doing things. And and make a relation between what you're doing in practice and put it in play during the games. And when they get the results, you know, the eyes will wide up open and they will say, oh, this is why. And they won't have to go to the iPad on the ice and what didn't this work? No, just put on the ice your talent yeah. The uh what we say in French complicité. So the you know the the, the way that you have to, to gel with your teammates and your linemates and get creative and get results. Yeah you no know, hockey is no rocket science. You take right. what you have as talent and you try to maximize it. Yep. And that's exactly what Rem Pitlick
1: is doing here, by the way. That's a great point,
2: Marco. Yeah, well I remember Justin Barron's first comments uh after his practice in Montreal was how creative the practice drills forced you to be in order to execute them properly. And I think that that's exactly that They're, He's, you're not forcing or trying to impose a style of play. You're trying to change a way of thinking to be yeah. more creative, to be more, uh, to, to, to prime your game more to your strengths. And we saw it with Justin Barron. they had been talking to him about utilizing his lateral skating at the blue line. How did he score his first goal? Lateral skating at the blue line shot off the, the offside circle. And that's, that's exactly what we're seeing, is pushing players to do what they do and, and, and enhance their strengths and then work on their weaknesses on the side. And Rem Pitlick, that's one of the big things. is When he was playing uh, minor, he was a great shooter. And the question was teammate utilization. And we've been seeing him utilize his teammates far better over the last couple of weeks since they've been able to zone in on that, changing the way of thinking. We look at, we fast forward to last night's game, and Nick Suzuki's goal was a cross-ice pass from Rem Pitlick again, utilizing his teammate properly. So change of thinking, and I think that will breed success far more than repetition of drills. For sure.
1: Now let's, uh, let's while we stay on this coaching topic, some stories surfacing in the past week, uh, Frankie, I think Elliot Freeman had it and Darren Drager and a couple other people talking about, look, there's definitely mutual interest and it's very more than likely that Martin St. Louis gets the interim tag taken off and becomes the head coach. But... But it's not a done deal yet, and there is always the family factor, and you know it's something that Marty St. Louis has asked the team. Uh, Let's let's address this later. I do have to at least think about that aspect of it. What's your gut feel on the whole situation? Well, my gut feeling is
0: that Martin St. Louis will be the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens as long as he wants to be the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, and the way I see things. Uh, and you said it. I mean, he has, he has close ties with Jeff Gorton and, and with Kent Hughes for some obvious reason. Kids played together and everything. And I may be wrong on this. I don't see a long term contract because Martin St. Louis doesn't need a long term contract. Mm-hmm. First thing first, let's all be honest here. Long term deal for coaching coaches in the NHL is just a financial net that you will fall back on because they all know that they're going to get fired at some point. Yeah. Martin St. Louis doesn't need money. No. He's more scared about the end of the world than the end of the month. (laughs) So he's not doing this for a salary or for a paycheck. (laughs) He's doing this for his passion. So, and again, I haven't spoke to Martin St. Louis about this, but that's the way I see things. Yeah. Whatever happens, a three-year deal, a four-year deal, a 10-year deal, I don't care. He's going to go a year-by-year year base. Do I yep. still like, like that job? Do I still want to do this job? Is my family still happy with me doing this job? That's all what he needs. So the interim uh, tag that is on his uh, is uh, his shirt right now, he is the one who's putting him there. Because if it would be Jeff Gorton or uh, 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 Can't Choose Decision, it would be pulled out. Or even yeah. Vincent Cavalier would say, hey, Marty, let's go, go, go. We want you there. But he can say, let me deal about with the situation. Now I know I can coach in the NHL. Now I know I can have the respect of my players. Now I know that I like the job. Yes. And he does really seem to like the job. Even his uh, press pressers after the game or after <laughs> practice it's like really us. interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. so I thought that for a guy uh, that was always on the tougher side with reporters. He was one of the uh, the only guys in the NHL that would get me like on my heels because I never yeah. knew how he could, uh, how he would answer or receive questions. He was intimidating in in his own yeah. way. But now he's listening to uh, questions. He answers uh, not only fairly, but he gives a lot of details. And we, when he's not sure, he says, "I'm going to look at this and I'll come back to you." So yeah. for me, it seems like, for the moment anyway, he loves what he's doing. So on a year-by-year year base, you know, I still do like, I still like this. My kids still uh, know me as their dad, and my wife is still looking at me as her husband, and my face is not in a milk bottle somewhere <laughs> trying to find out our dad or our husband. He's <laughs> going to keep
1: doing this job. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's interesting you bring up the, the his persona, I felt the same way. I mean, when he was a player and i tried try to interview him, he was like Bill Belichick, man. I mean, it was like pins and needles trying to get this guy to give you, an and he was so stern and, you know, literally, I'd be like, oh, man, what, did I piss him off? Uh-oh. And I, I'd get scared that I was pissing the guy off. And now it's like a 180, and, and he's just so open and so willing to talk. And, you know, I always – I love when you can interview somebody, and you, you've been in the business for a while, Frankie, too. When they actually take the time – to sit back a second or two, maybe five seconds, I don't care how long, and they think about the question you just asked and they want to give you an insightful answer. And that's what I appreciate about Marty St. Louis right now is that he's he's absorbing your question. He, he's not pre, pre-set, pre-meditated. He's not giving you the typical coach jargon, the coach language, and you know he has it all rehearsed. No matter what the question's going to be, you're going to get the same answer. No, he, he's really looking at every individual question and giving the best possible answer, he, and that's 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 great. And I I don't know if he realizes it, but I mean, as a as a reporter, I appreciate that so much.
0: But, but we like, need to know how long it's going to last, and yeah, that's yeah, that's the reason why I was telling you. I don't mind the number of years to a contract. Yeah, he needs to be, he needs to be happy with all the aspects of the job, right? Uh, uh, to come back the next season, so year to year basis. Of course, I love it. Of course, I'll be back. I'll be back. Yep. And for me, that's the way it's going gonna, it's gonna to be dealt with.
1: Now, let's switch to a uh, a bigger elephant in the room here, and that would be Carey Price. And, and look, before Habs fans get on us right now, this, we're not trying to say they should trade. Well, I, I might be saying that, but we're not trying to say they should trade. If we say that, that we should, we should trade him. It's not because we don't like Carey Price or we're disregarding all he's achieved. It's a situation right now that needs to be addressed. It's a crossroads for this organization, for sure. Uh, you know, We just discussed how much of the future is in play right now, both cap-wise and also just moving forward into a new era of Montreal Canadiens hockey. Can Carey Price remain a Montreal Canadian past this season in your eyes? Hmm. Uh, of course he can't. Is Mm -hmm. that the better? Is that the best uh, scenario
0: for the team and for Carey Price and his family? That I'm not sure of, because I don't see the Canadians being a Cup contender in the next uh, two years or three years. But they will get better, and at some point they will need the goaltender that Carey Price was and probably won't be in three years to get to the next level. Mm. So trading Carey Price is as you said, it's something that you need to think of. Not only that you have, but you need to think of. Now, is he willing to leave? That question is mute right now because we don't know how good is he going to be when he's going to come back. And right. that's the reason why I think that he'll be in front of the net Monday uh, when the Jets will be at the Bell Center. Yeah. And we will go from there. Is he the goaltender that he used to be? he can still be one of the really good, maybe not the best anymore, but one of the good three, five, seven good goaltenders in the NHL that will take a really good team to a cup contender. And it won't happen in Montreal. But before being able to talk trade and to say, okay, we'll be willing to keep 50% of his contract because there's no way he's going to go to Edmonton or somewhere else in a, a with a team with a cap situation if the Canadians don't keep a lot of money. But before talking about that, you need to see if he's able to be on the ice the carry price that he used to be.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and for me, that's the first part. After yep. that, you'll see Montreal already have the contract of Shea Weber. That is a bad contract, but in a good situation for a team that goes up to the uh, the, the the ceiling. Yeah, and might need uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the LTIR factor to help them, but still, I mean, you cannot keep Carey Price contract and Shea Weber's contract in Montreal on a long period of time. Maybe another year, but not more than that.
2: Marco, I think it's a hundred percent that one of those contracts is gone by August, and yep. I think it's more likely to be Weber's than Price's. Um, you know, and we were talking about it, you know. LTIR team. And that's one way of looking at it. The other thing I'm looking at is there's a team in the desert that's going to be playing in front of 5,000 fans and has to hit the salary cap floor. What a joke. Yeah. So the way I see it is, uh, you know, Arizona has a lot of contracts on LTIR that are going to be coming to an end. A lot of player contracts that are currently on injured reserve, they're coming to an end this season. So they'll be able to take on Shea Weber's contract at the junction of the summer Should they feel like it? They were limited in doing so, I believe, uh, during the trade deadline because they they were were at the limit limit that they could use. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. um, that's something to look at in terms of carry price. I think, you know, I think we've all hit the nail on the head. Uh, He's got to play. And I think that's the reason why he's coming back right now is that he wants to prove to himself first and foremost that he can that he can play. I think as any athlete, you're proud. You want to show you can play. you got to play. But I think that also sets things in motion because if he proves to himself that he can play, you know, there's the battle with the self, but then there's their perception. Mm. People see that Carey Price can play. Carey Price, even if Carey Price isn't necessarily the top goaltender he was before the surgery, he's an elite tournament goalie, in my opinion. Like, you, if you, if all the chips are down and you're going into the playoffs and you have Carey Price, you're set. I, I, yeah. I, you're going into an Olympic tournament, you have Carey Price, you're set. So – I think he puts a team over. Now, how do how did that how's that gonna work financially? Yeah, you know, maybe there is retention involved. Uh, 50% would be a little too rich for my liking. Um, you know, because that's five point five point yeah, five point two five over four more years. Um, but I'm sure they can get creative fiscally to try and get it. But at the end of the day, the elephant in the room is that no movement clause. And it all goes back to carry it's price. Safe.
1: Good segue. And that's what I want to get at. And and I think it's something we need to address. Even if Kerry keeps saying, I want to finish my career here. I know he's on record as saying that a couple months ago. He waived that no movement clause to go into that expansion draft. It didn't happen. They didn't take him. But the fact is he was willing to do it. And that cannot be forgotten. That to me, that's a big thing there. That lets the team know, well, look, he may be all sentimental right now, but when, when we sit down with him and everything, they can bring that up and be like, hey, you were willing to do it before. Will you be willing to do it now? And, and it, obviously a lot's changed since then. He's been through a, a heck of a rehab and a heck of a battle to get back to where he is. But the fact is, he did do that. So, I, you know, for people out there, I have people laughing at me on Twitter saying, he'll never wave that. He already did. So why yeah. not do it again? So that's something we need to keep in mind. But listen, we... I don't want to keep you too long. uh, Frankie, we got a question here from somebody that is uh, watching right now. Nicholas Sheehy is asking, can you guys speak about Michigan being eliminated with that staff team, the Frozen Four last year? That was an upset to me. I'll tell you that. And also uh, the prospect Brett Stapley. I'll leave that to Marco because he is our prospect man. So why don't you take that one, buddy?
2: Ah uh, Well, uh, you always love to see the Titans fall in these kind of tournaments. And I think Michigan was the favorite for many going forward. But Denver has that team defense. I mean, you know, they're being led by Bobby Brink, Carter Savoy, and Brett Stapley, as we talked about. So, you know, a pretty strong team. And throughout the entire season, you know, they that's what I liked about Denver's program. They turn players that are offensive into elite two-way players in the NCAA. And we saw it on display uh, the other day. And again, we're talking about Michigan, you know, I think they have five top 10 players on their team, yeah, uh, a, a slew of other first rounders. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it, 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 the game is played on the ice. And what we saw last night was what team, uh, defense will do versus a cast of all stars. What do you think of Staple? Is he coming? I mean, that's a toss in my opinion. I think, um, you know, they already went and signed uh, Luca Condota and, and brought him to Laval. I think he played his first game uh, the other night. And, you know, you got to look at your contract situation, right? Because, yeah, the Canadians have 30 contract slots as of this moment tied up for next year, 31 now with the signing of Heinemann. Uh, you got to be a little careful with that. I think, personally, I think that he would be a good help for Laval. And at the end of the day, I think he would be probably a better bet Uh, at a future than say for example Cam Hillis who's currently under contract with the Montreal Canadiens so it really depends what they decide to do in building out that depth in their minor league club
0: I I, I like what Marco said about the development of the defensive mentality sometimes when fans hear about that they say oh no not Jacques Lemaire and Jacques uh, uh, Jacques Martin coming back to the NHL but you need that and by the way when Jacques Martin was pushing on the defensive side in Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators were in the top two or three teams scoring goals because right. you need that to get to the other level. Yep. You know, now I'm, I'm getting older. I don't watch junior hockey as much or not even more. I'm, I'm not watching, going to games. I don't look at college hockey, and I don't even look too much to the Laval Rocket because what I want to see is those players coming in when they are in the NHL. How do they play in the NHL? You can be great in junior. And I've seen some outstanding junior players that were ne- never able to become a real NHLer. Now, does that mean that they won't be able to do it? No. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how they will find a way. But to just to put more emphasis on what Marco was saying, look at the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, yeah. Look at the Canadians in the last 10, 15 games. They made look the Florida Panthers bad. Even in some victories of the Panthers, the, Leafs all the, time. the Canadians were look, <laughs> looking like the best team on the ice at some point. Yeah, yeah. You know, they did the same thing last week in Tampa. Okay, the both took it lightly, probably a little bit, but Montreal deserved that shootout win a lot more than the uh, than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. The only team that the Canadians was not able to do anything against was the Carolina Hurricanes because of what because those gifted players offensively learned how to respect and play a system that was implemented by Rod Brendamour, who was an outstanding player and a two-way player. Great offensive guy, but he was a minded centerman that was winning face-off and knew what he needed to do to make his teammates and his team better. That's, you, you said it, Marco. You said, uh, you know, Denver's playing like a team. The Carolina Hurricanes are playing like a team. They're not a fortress as much as Colorado, as much as Tampa, or even Florida or Calgary. Know, look around of the great teams that are putting goals in that. But once they're ahead and they know how to get there, they are able to protect. Yeah. And that makes their team bigger and stronger. And that's why they have to be considered as a contender for the Stanley Cup, maybe more so than the Florida Panthers and the Toronto Maple Leafs.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think I think Florida's one and out. I, I, those offensive teams to me, you know, it's a whole different game in the playoffs. So I'm with you on that. I like Carolina as well out of the East. Look, Frankie, we want to thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, I look forward to seeing you up in Montreal or somewhere along the road. Uh, these days. If you're ever down in Boston, you let me know. All right. I'll
0: let you know. Obviously, you know, all the places I used to go in Boston. So we'll uh, we'll catch up
1: sometimes. Sounds great. That's Frankie Gagne joining us from RDS. He's Marco D'Amico. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the Montreal Hockey Now podcast. And I'm going to go watch my Red Sox. Have a good one.